0: Alright, well good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to bring God's Word to you. You are putting yourself in danger if you don't do the things that you're supposed to do. You're putting yourself in danger if you don't do the things that you're supposed to do. I want you to meet Clara. Clara is my two and a half year old daughter and she is her own person She has a big personality. She is rigid. She likes to do things her way, and I promise you, I don't care who you are, you cannot make her do something that she does not want to do. Um, And that includes um, breathing, eating, and drinking. Uh, So you're laughing, but I'm about to tell you the story behind all three of those. (laughs) Um, There were a couple of times in her life where uh, there were some things that took place to where her, she was in real danger because she wouldn't do what she was supposed to do. A couple of years ago, a couple summers ago, um, Clara was sick with something, and to this day we don't really know what it was. Uh, she was sick with something, and she wouldn't eat or drink, and she basically threw up every night for two months. Um, so much so that she was losing weight. Doctors were concerned. She was in the 20th percentile on her weight. Um, you know, she wasn't even a year yet, and she was in the 20th percentile. And, um, you know, my, my kids are normally like 80th, 90th percentile. So that was kind of, that was a big jump. Her, you, you can watch her growth chart kind of go up, and then it starts to dip down. And so there was some real concern there. Um, she wouldn't eat or drink. Um, When when I say that she wouldn't eat, what I mean is like at mealtime, we would cut a grape into four so that she wouldn't choke. If she would eat one of those one-fourth of a grape, we would celebrate that she ate something, just something. Uh, That's how much that she she wasn't eating or drinking, and of course we went to the doctor. Of course we did that. We went to the doctor uh, multiple times, different doctors, specialists. Um, They ran tests. They did all kinds of things. Nobody really knew what was going on. We were trying all these different things, and everybody was concerned. Um, and, and, And then, of course, yes, we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we did what James said. James said bring bring in the bring in the elders and have the elders pray. So the El- central's elders came over to our house and prayed over over Clara and and anointed her with oil and they prayed and she still didn't get better. And we prayed and we prayed and we didn't know what to do. And by the way, this part has nothing to do with what I'm saying later. So I'm I'm going to give you a sidebar. I'm going to tell you what happened. What happened was uh, one night I couldn't sleep. There, there was, you know, that happened to me every now and again. I can't sleep. And so sometimes what I'll do when I can't sleep is I'll get out of bed and I'll go sit on the couch um, and I'll pray. And so this one particular night while all this was going on, I, I got out of bed, I went out and sat on the couch and I prayed. And my prayer was something like this. Um, I won't be able to replicate the tone. The tone was angrier. So imagine angrier tone. But here's what I told God. I said, look, when, when I read the scriptures and I, I see, I read the gospels and Jesus walks around and he heals all of these people. He just says the word in all of these people. He says, be healed and people are healed. And and uh, there." He spoke life into people, there were dead people, and and Jesus used his words to raise them from the dead and, and There was a time where the lady touched Jesus, he didn't even know it and and she touched him and, and he and and she was healed, and all these things happened, and it was all done by faith when, and I was telling the lord like i I have faith, Could I get one of those miracles? I could use one of those right about now um and and Noted, there was a little bit more, uh, anger in, in there, some snark in there. Uh, but, but then I put my fleece out there. You know, Mark, Mark said, don't, don't do that. But this was before Mark said that, so I'm good. <laughs> he said, I, I kind of put it out there and I said, I said, you know, she was in the 20th percentile. I said, well, the next time we go to the doctor, um, in a couple of weeks, when we go to the doctor again, can she be in the 50th percentile? Well, the next day, She began to eat like she hadn't eaten before, and and she stopped throwing up. She didn't throw up anymore after that, and then a couple of weeks later, we went to the doctor, and she was in the 47th, 48th percentile. She was up there almost to 50%. The Lord healed my daughter. She heard my prayer, and I just wanted to give God glory for that, because I had the chance, and I have a microphone, so I wanted to do that. Well, that... That was a couple of years ago, um, and we had the opportunity for that. But but the situation was such that she wouldn't do what she was supposed to do, and she was in danger because of it. It wasn't her fault. She was sick. To this day, we don't know. We don't know what happened. Uh, but she's healthy as can be. You saw her picture. She's good to go now. But that that's my daughter, Clara. There was another time where she wouldn't do what she was supposed to do, and, and it caused some problems for her. She was in real danger. This time, uh, she was six hours old. And we were in the hospital over here in Round Rock, and she, she had just been born. She was six hours old, and she was laying on Helen's chest to sleep. And I, I looked at Helen, and I said, is she blue? And Helen's like, I don't know. Well, I really didn't know, because, you know, new, can we just be honest with one another? Newborns are weird. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, your baby's so beautiful. No, it isn't. I'm so sorry. Except for the ones we dedicated. But they're not even newborns. So, they, you know, get a few weeks under them and we're good. But like when they're first born, they're weird looking. So I didn't know. I didn't know what I was looking at. So I, I went out to the hallway at, where the nurses were at the nurse's station. They were all kind of looking at a computer doing something. And, and I just kind of said, can I get a second opinion? And they smiled. Yeah, sure. What, what do you need? And, and I said, well, I, is my baby blue? <laughs> and they... They jumped up, and they got in there before I did, and I, before I saw or knew what was going on, there were five, six, seven nurses in the room. They snatched the baby out of Helen's arms. They didn't ask permission. Uh, you should ask permission before you take someone's baby, but they didn't. They just took the baby and, and started giving Clara oxygen because she wasn't breathing. And it took them an hour, a whole hour, to get her to breathe on her own because she she just wouldn't do it. And, you know, after they got her situated, everything was fine. Everything was good. As a matter of fact, uh, Pastor Mark came and visited uh, a little bit after that, and we told him what happened. He said, well, that won't be the last time she does something like that to you. (laughs) Uh, And lo and behold, then she decides not to eat. So, uh, but, but, you know, I asked the doctor later, I said, why, what was this? Is this something we should be concerned about? Is this something that we should pay attention to in the future? And the doctor said, no, just... Sometimes babies forget to breathe when they're born. And that she just had forgotten that she had to breathe on her own and because she wouldn't do what she was supposed to do she was in danger. She put herself in danger. I know some of us in the room right now are in a tough spot and and for some of us we know we're in a rough we're in a rough way but but others of us we don't even know that we're really challenged challenged right now but Uh, We're we're in a rough spot, and it could be because we're forgetting to breathe. The subject of our topic today is the idea of biblical community. That, That our connection with other believers in the context of small groups where you can know others and be known by others, that that is like the air that we breathe, and we need it we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 today, and you can turn there now. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's take a moment to pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to open our hearts to hear your word. I pray that we would be able to comprehend what it is that you're saying to us. And, and Lord, help us to receive it with, with grace and favor, and help us to respond in a way that honors you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Peter wrote this book, 1 Peter. It's a letter that he wrote to a bunch of churches, first century churches. And in the first century, these churches were suffering because of their faith in Jesus. In a variety variety of ways, in all these different capacities, they were suffering because they were connected to Jesus. And and Peter writes this letter and and says, stick with it. Don't give up. Uh, stay, Stay with him. And because Peter is a Jewish man... He, he knows the Old Testament very well, so when he writes, the Old Testament just kinda of comes out of him. And so he starts quoting the Old Testament, and if you read the letter of 1 Peter, you read it, you'll see all of these Old Testament, uh, direct quotes and allusions of things that he's kind of applying to us as believers in Jesus, and that's what we find in the first verse that we read just a second ago. We find all of these Old Testament, really direct quotes. And what Peter's gonna do is, by the authority of the Holy Spirit, He's going to lift these, these quotes, these phrases out of the Old Testament. He's going to take them into the New Testament, and he's going to apply them to us. Uh, we don't replace Israel, but he's saying that this also applies to you. And that's what Peter does by the authority of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. For example, he says, you are a chosen race. That's how he begins verse 9. You are a chosen race. What Peter, where where his mind has gone, is he's gone back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah 43, God is speaking and he says to to the people of Israel, he says, you have broken my covenant with you. And so I'm not going to protect you anymore. I'm going to let Babylon take you over. They're going to take you over. They're going to exile you to the nations because you have broken my covenant. And then he says in Isaiah 43, he says, but you are my chosen people. You are my chosen race. And so that's not going to be forever. I'm going to bring you back from the nations, and I'm going to plant you right back here in the promised land. That That's in, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament about the people of Israel. What Peter does is he takes that phrase, you are a chosen race, he picks it up, and he lifts it, and he plants it, and he says, Central, you are a chosen race. That that word race means common lineage. You have a common lineage. When when God was speaking to the people of Israel and he said you had a common lineage, he was talking about Abraham. You have a common lineage. Your great, 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 great great grandfather for all of you was was Abraham. That's for the people of Israel. Well, Peter takes that phrase, chosen race, he picks it up out of the Old Testament and he dumps it into his letter and he says, and you also, just like Israel, you are a chosen race. You have a common lineage. And that common lineage, that common ancestor that you have, is also Abraham. But not by blood, not by DNA, but by faith. Paul explains to us what, what that means, that That just like Abraham, it says in Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So also we in the New Testament, we are we are sons of Abraham. We are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith because we take God's word and we put our faith in Jesus and we trust in him. And by faith, not by blood or by DNA, but by faith, we are children of Abraham. We are a chosen race that God has selected us out. The second reference in verse 9, Peter says to the churches, you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now Peter's mind is turned from Isaiah, and now he's thinking about Exodus chapter 19. And you know the book of Exodus. The people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. Moses, burning bush, let my people go, plague, plague, plague. Uh, run through the uh, the dry the dry ground on the Red Sea. You know, I know. You know, they they run through and they wander in the wilderness. Uh, and they wander in the wilderness, headed towards the promised land. But before they can get to the promised land, they stop at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai is where they receive the law, the Ten Commandments. But before they receive the Ten Commandments, that's Exodus chapter twenty. Before Exodus twenty is Exodus nineteen. And in Exodus nineteen. God tells the people of Israel, you are a royal priesthood. Now, Israel had priests. And the priests were the people that were most connected to God. They were closest to God. They had the best access to God. But that's not who God was talking about when he said, you are a royal priesthood. He wasn't speaking to the priests. He was speaking to the entire nation of people. All together, you are a royal priesthood because priests do a lot of things. One of the things they do is they represent God to the nations. They represent God to the nations who don't know God. Another thing they do is they are set aside for special service of God. And he's the king. He tells the entire nation, you are my royal priesthood. Well, Peter takes that reference, he picks it up out of the Old Testament, he dumps it into the New Testament, and he says, Central, you are a royal priesthood. You represent God to others who do not know him, and you are my special people that I have set aside for my service. You are my royal priesthood, he says to us. The third reference, he says, you are a holy nation. Again, Exodus 19, God tells Tells the people of Israel in Exodus 19, you also are a holy nation. That word holy means set aside, set apart. You are a set apart nation. I've set you aside. Peter picks that up, dumps it into the New Testament and looks at you and says, you are a holy nation. You have a citizenship in, in the kingdom of God. And you are a set aside group of people. In the next reference, he says, you are a people for his own possession. Once again, Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, God tells Israel, he says, you are my treasured possession. That that I have created and everything belongs to me. But you are my treasured possession. I'm sure you understand. You You probably have some prized possessions. Um, so if we did the whole thing where I said there was a house fire, heaven forbid there's a house fire, but there is one. And you, aside from people and animals, you can grab one thing. What would it be? That's your most prized possession. You, you, have, you own many things, but there are only a, a select group of things that are your most prized possessions. And God tells Israel, you, I, I own everything, but you are my most prized possession. Once again, Peter picks that up. And he dumps it into the New Testament. And he says, Central, you, you are my most prized possession. I, I, I own everything. I'm the creator of all things, but you are the thing that I cherish the most. And then the last reference that Peter uses in these verses, this is actually verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, uh, but now you have. Now Peter has gone, he's left Isaiah, he's left the book of Exodus, and now, uh, if you are in ladies' Bible study on Thursday morning, you should have, you should know this. And if you don't, you're not, you haven't been listening. I'm just kidding. This is out of the book of Hosea, okay? It's out of the book of Hosea, and in the book of Hosea, God uses Hosea the prophet to tell the people of Israel that you have, you have broken my covenant you have broken my covenant, and so you are not my people, and I will not have mercy on you. And then a little bit later he says, but actually, I'm going to do something amazing. And, and you were once not my people, but now you are my people. You had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's what God t- tells Israel in the book of Hosea. And Peter picks that up and he puts it in the New Testament and he says, that's true about you, Central. You were once not a people. You were cut off from the people of God. You were cut off from His promises. You were separate, but not anymore. By faith in Jesus, you are now connected in. Now you are a people. And not only that, you had, you had not, once, you had not received mercy, but now by faith in Jesus, you have received mercy. So here's what Peter's trying to explain to us. Here's kind of a summary of what all of these phrases mean. You were once a people who were outside of God's mercy, but not anymore. You are a people who belong to God. You have been set apart to serve the King. And you have experienced the mercy of God. You are a unified people, and you have been given a purpose. And what I see in the text is this that the purpose for God's people is to proclaim. The purpose for God's people is to proclaim. Peter tells us in verse 9, you are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The purpose for God's mercy in your life isn't only for your own salvation. It's not only so that you escape judgment. It's also that you can proclaim. To proclaim. To proclaim what? It says the excellencies. That word excellencies means um, the, the mighty acts of God in your life. The, the mighty acts of what God has done. I actually proclaimed His excellencies at the front end of this sermon when I told you what He did in my daughter Clara's life. I proclaimed His excellencies. You might proclaim His excellencies when you talk about how He has saved you out of darkness and brought you into His marvelous light. You declare the outstanding character of God. You have been saved so that you can share. The purpose for God's people is to proclaim. And that's actually the subject of the next chapter and a half of 1 Peter. Peter's telling them, you've got to proclaim His excellencies. Let me give you some ways that you can do that. And and he starts talking. He says, you can look through your headings in your Bible. By the way that you submit to authority, you are proclaiming to the outside world what God is like. By the way that husbands and wives interact with one another, you are proclaiming His excellencies. And the way that you suffer for the cause of Christ, when you suffer because you're connected to Jesus, and the way that you stand up under that suffering, you are proclaiming His excellencies. But the first way that Peter lists, The the first way that he lists that we should proclaim his excellencies is this. He says, fight. Fight. Peter says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Did you know that you're in a battle? Peter says that the passions of your flesh wage war against your soul. When you walk outside of God's Spirit, when you walk outside of His will for your life, your weaknesses start to take over. And when when they do, it says that they wage war against your soul. What What Peter means by soul is your whole self. Your whole self is under siege by the passions of your flesh. Your sin wages war against you. The single greatest problem that faces mankind is not nuclear war or terrorism or climate change or even cancer. The single greatest problem that we face as mankind is sin. When we sin, we are telling God, I I want to be on the throne of my own life. I want to make my own decisions. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say or what you have said in your word. I'm in charge, not you. Sin is no small thing. Sin is cosmic rebellion. Sin is not trivial. Sin is treason. You cannot say that my sin is so small, it's so insignificant, it doesn't really matter. There is no small sin because there is no sin against a small God. And the consequences of sin are enormous. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. That means physical death. Genesis chapter 3 is a result of sin. But it also means spiritual death. Because of sin, we are separated from God. We will never be all that God wants for us because of sin in our lives. Sin is death in your body, in your emotions, in your relationships with other people, with your relationships with God. Sin is death. And your flesh wants to sin. It's waging war against your whole self, against the good that God has for you, against the, the peace and the wholeness that God wants for you, against the life that God wants in you and through you and for you. Does anybody else feel that war inside, that tug inside, that battle with sin? Let me, before we move on with that, let me clear up a misunderstanding. Uh, we have to get the order right. What the text is saying what the text is not saying is, fight against sin and then God will accept you. That is not what the Bible is saying. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, by faith in Jesus, you have been accepted. God receives you by, by faith in Jesus, God receives you. You are an adopted son or daughter of the king, period. And, and because you are an adopted son or daughter of the king, now it's time to get to work. Let's start working on this sin stuff. Right, so it's important for us to get the order right, and don't, don't be deceived that, that being a follower of Jesus some, means like I'm supposed to keep a list of rules and then God will receive me. That, that's not the way that this works. Get the order right. Now, as we look at this text, there are two things that I want you to notice about it. The first thing that I want you to notice about this text is the plurality of it. I want you to notice how plural this text is. Peter writes this letter to us today, and he says, hey, Central, y'all are a chosen people. He doesn't say you're a chosen person. He says you're a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. He says you're a people for God's own possession, not a person for God's own possession. You are a holy nation, not a holy individual. This is all plural. They're not plural words, but they're plural ideas. These are classes of people, collective, together. And then he says, he uses the word in verse 11, beloved. That's also a plural word that he uses. By the way, that word for beloved, I'm not sure how your Bible translation uh, renders that word, but that word is actually the word agape. God's sacrificial love for us. What Peter is talking about here, he's not saying that you are my beloved, which certainly Peter loved the people of these churches, otherwise he wouldn't write them a letter. But he's not saying my beloved, he's saying they're God's beloved. You are God's beloved. You are God's beloved, so let's start fighting sin. But that's a plural word, beloved. Together. Y'all do it together. And that is one of the purposes of our groups, of our biblical community, this central groups that we are engaging in. It's to wage war against sin together, collectively. To wage war, to wage war. Paul talks about discipleship, and when the apostle Paul talks about discipleship, he uses a boxing metaphor. Now, I've never been in a boxing match, but my understanding is that's one-on-one unless it's made-for-TV, WWE, and somebody comes in from the back with a chair, right? My understanding is boxing is one-on-one, and that's that's Paul's description of, of how you fight sin. It's a personal discipline. But Peter is coming at it from another angle, and he says, Well, it's like that, but in a different way. It's also you wage war. Nobody wages war alone unless you're Mel Gibson. If you wage war alone, you die. Nobody wages war alone. See, this is serious business, and that's what concerns me when people say, well, I already have community. I already have that. I already have friends. And great, I'm I'm glad that you already have friends. That's good. But my question is, what do you mean by that? Are you fighting sin together together? Are you collectively confessing and repenting and holding each other accountable and pushing yourself, pushing one another towards faith in Christ? Is that what you mean when you say, I already have community? So the first thing I wanted you to notice about this text was the plurality of it. The second thing that I wanted you to notice about the text is the ferocity of it. War is not quaint. War is not something you enter into lightly. There is no room for manners in war. We are in a war with sin. No holds barred. This is no gentleman's battle. I read about 18th century European warfare and I had to laugh. I'm sure it was horrific. I'm sure I would not have been laughing in the middle of it. But I am now. And it's funny. Uh, because what what would happen is, um, so let me give you some examples. It, it was usual for armies to only fight when the weather was good. So in the fall and winter, they would just stop fighting their war. And the soldiers would go to winter's quarters, but the generals would go home. And that might mean that they had to cross through enemy lines and so what they would do is they would just apply for a pass to just walk through enemy lines and and so they and it was always granted they would just walk through enemy lines because it was bad form to inconvenience an enemy. Officers would often meet before the battle to discuss the terms of the battle, who is going to fire the first shot. I was reading about this kind of warfare in One person said that the objective of any general is to defeat the enemy. But that doesn't mean you should be boorish about it. Like, you don't have to be rude, right? Display some sportsmanship in war. They were concerned about sportsmanship and manners and the optics of things, the way things look. But that's not our fight with sin. Our fight with sin is no gentleman's war. Sin takes no prisoners. And so we have to fight in the same way. It's not a gentleman's battle, nor is it a duel. Also something I laughed about this week. I've read about duels, and, and if you offended me publicly, uh, what, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to indicate to you that you have offended me publicly and I would like to duel. So I would do something absolutely rude to you. I would take off my glove and throw it at your feet. If you Do not ever do that to me. That is highly offensive for you to throw your glove at my feet. Do not do that. But then there's all kinds of different duels, and yes, there's fight to the death, but there's also, you can duel, you select your gun and how many paces you're going to take, and you, you can fire one shot, and if you miss, sorry, it's over. Your honor has been avenged. There's also just shoot to wound or maim. There's all these different, It's our battle with sin is not a duel. We don't shoot to just maim. We don't take one shot and miss and say, well, at least my honor is avenged. It is not a gentleman's battle. It is not a duel. It's actually more like my fight with a bully one time. Uh, I'm not a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I don't. I don't get in fights. So much so, I'm a huge nerd. This week, I googled how to fight dirty, <laughs> and uh, and I found there's actually a wiki how, like Wikipedia how to fight dirty, and uh, and just if you want the summary, it, it involves biting and kicking, and punching in sensitive places. So, uh, but I don't, I don't fight, so I had to Google it. But one time I did get in a fight. One time I did. I, I was pro- I don't know, seven or eight, I don't know, and I had to go to my older brother's baseball game. I had to go to my older brother's baseball game, and the younger siblings, you feel my pain. You have to go to all of their stuff, and they don't come to any of your stuff, right? You understand what I'm saying. Um, so older siblings, you don't get it, right? You, you don't get it. But I had to go. So I did what every other little sibling does. When you show up to your older sibling's game, you show up, and what do you do? You go find something else to do, right? So I went and found something else to do. It was usually wall ball. We would usually go play wall ball. And I was there with my best friend Dave, seven, eight years old, and there was a bully. There was somebody picking on us, picking on my friend Dave, and so we concocted a plan. Now, my parents and Dave's parents caught us mid-plan, but, but this is what they caught us doing. I had the bully with his arms behind his back, and I was yelling, Hit him, Dave! Hit him! <laughs> now, some of you fine gentlemen who are astute at hand-to-hand combat would be saying, That's dirty. You should never fight somebody that way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. That is dirty. But we were fighting an enemy that was too big for us. He was a bully, and the only shot that we had was if we fought together. And that's exactly what I'm asking us to do, is to fight together. Because the desires of your flesh that cause you to want to sin are too big for you. But you were never meant to fight alone. You need a friend to go with you. You need to be willing to fight Dirty, you need to be willing to fight until it's over. John Owen said one time, he said, Do you make putting your sin to death your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he moves on and he talks about it's like, it's like killing a snake. If, if there is a venomous snake that, that is coming after you, you don't just strike once and hope that did the trick. He says you'll, you'll regret that you did that. You keep at it until it's over. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. God has given us the ability to fight sin in our lives and he has given us many tools at our disposal. And one of the weapons that we have to fight sin in our lives is one another. Together, collectively, plural, fight sin together. That is the importance of biblical community. That's what so many of us are missing out on is the accountability, is the pushing one another to Scripture, the confession, the repentance. That's what we've been missing. How many of us are doing this alone? We're trying to fight sin all by ourselves, and we wonder why we're losing. We're fighting a losing battle against sin in our lives, and we're struggling and struggling and struggling, and you don't need another Bible study, and you don't need more prayer, and you don't need to just fast more. You don't need another self-help book. What you need is other people. You need to plant yourself in the soil of God's people. So central, it's time. It's time for us to begin our fight for holiness. It's time for us to start fighting for what we say is important. It's time for us to start fighting for our families and our spouses and the people around us. It's time for us to fight with courageous vulnerability. With courageous vulnerability. It takes courage to step out and say, I'm struggling and need help. It takes courage courage to say, I, I've been with this group of people right here, but they are not pushing me towards Jesus. And I need to remove myself from them and I need to plant myself in the soil of God's people. That takes courage. That takes vulnerability. We need to fight with courageous vulnerability. It's time for us to fight with ruthless ferocity. With ruthless ferocity. That means confession and repentance. Repentance. We need to root out our sin and confess it to one another and repent with one another. That means we need to take, uh, fighting with ruthless ferocity means that we need to take a hard look at our priorities. We need to take a long, hard look at our priorities. See, the call of Jesus isn't to just come and adjust. The call of Jesus is to come and die. Take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. It's time for ruthless ferocity as we look at our priorities, as we look at our calendars. If you don't have time for discipleship, if you don't have time for that, then something is wrong. And and maybe, maybe what you need to do is say no to some good things in order that you have time to say yes to some better things. Or maybe... Maybe. You just need to be more creative. Because Alan and Amy, Alan, our youth and families pastor, and his wife, Amy, they're busy people, and you know that. Many of you know how busy they are. But they know the importance of biblical community, and so they attack their calendar, their schedule, and their priorities with ruthless ferocity and a measure of creativity. So check this out. We
1: need a need and we felt the desire to be a part of the community group, but we just couldn't imagine putting one more thing into our schedule service We're super busy, as I know most families are, and it's just kind of seasonal depending on activities the kids are involved in, what sport is in season, what's going on. Um, with them, I'll try to go and watch different. You have to different activities. We have hot off on Monday night. So there's not really a consistent night of the week that you're free, so the idea of giving up another night of the week to community groups, although we recognized the need for it, it was just going to be a big commitment and it wasn't something that I was really willing to do to give up yet another night of our week for another activity. Knowing the importance of community groups and wanting to be in that and recognizing the business of our schedule presented quite a challenge to us in our conversation. And instead of looking at... What else can we add to our plate because our plate is so full? The thought came to my mind. What's on my plate that I can add people to? And people are important. We value relationships. So what's already consistent on my plate? Whether well, there's room to add people without making my plate more full. So we recognize that we budget like to go out to eat after church every Sunday. And that's just something we do. We're full and busy every Sunday morning. on staff. And so we recognize that Sunday we're going to go out to eat lunch so we thought, why not invite some other couples and their kids to join us for lunch? Be intentional every Sunday, and we're going to be straight off with the message, and we can discuss what Pastor Mark or whoever's preaching just said, and lead into our week for, for our, our community group. But it's instead of needing to add people to a garden on our, our plate, and now what's on our plate is that much better, but not that much more. And that's be great for us. Where you don't want. When you want something, you make a
0: way. And we declared that God would make a way in the midst of our excuses because we really knew it make better. And that's what we got to They attacked their calendar, their their schedule with ruthless ferocity. The military commander of ancient Carthage, Hannibal, was once told that you can't cross the Alps with elephants. And the famous quote that he has is, I will either find a way or I'll make one. What do you need to do to make biblical community happen? What what do you need to stop doing? Not just what do you need to start doing, what do you need to stop doing? Who Who do you need to invite? Who do you want to partner with in this? If you think of biblical community, can you think of some people that you want to do this with? What step of faith do you need to take? Where do you need to to, to step out in courage? It's time. It's time for us to do this. It's time. Because it can be dangerous if you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. When we fight sin in this way, Peter says, we proclaim. And when we proclaim, Jesus is glorified. We are better together. We need each other. And the world around around us needs us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so here's how we're going to proceed this morning. Here's how we'll respond. Last week, don't move. I'm going to say something and you're going to want to reach for it. Don't move. Last week, I asked you to get your bulletin, and in your bulletin you had a little survey. And I just saw out of the corner of my eye people were reaching. I just said don't. You're bad listeners. Uh, It it has a survey in there, name, email, phone number. And then there are different boxes check all that apply. Okay, and you did it last week. Here's what I'm asking you to do. The band is going to come up. They're going to give you a chance to think about it. Um, what I want you to do in a minute is I want you to fill it out again. I already filled it out. I want you to fill it out again for two reasons. One, your answer may have changed. Two, when you fill it out, the person next to you who hadn't done it yet is going to fill it out too. It's called peer pressure. Okay, I'm trying to apply that this morning. Just do it, okay? Fill it out. I want you to check all that apply at the top. I'm in a group and I'm happy. Tell me the name of it. Okay, if you're happy in your group, check it. Tell me the name. If you don't know the name of your group, tell me the names of some people who are in there. If you can't name the name of your group or the people who are in your group, you're not in a group. Okay, so check that. Give me some information. The second one, I'd like to be a part of an ABS. Okay, that's our 945. 945 works for you. Um, 945 works for you check that you want to learn about that, get some options and we'll try to help you get connected there. The next blank, if this applies, check it. I want to be in a midweek group. Midweek means not Sunday morning. So midweek could be Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. It it could be anytime, but Sunday morning. It's not just Wednesdays. Okay. So, so if you want to be in a midweek group, go ahead and check it. Check that you're interested. The next blank in there says, I want to learn about being a leader. If, if maybe God is calling you out and you feel that little nudge, it's time for me to be courageous. It's time for me to step out. I, I'm a good teacher, but we don't even need teachers. We, we need people who can gather also. We need leaders. We need organizers. And you sense God kind of pushing you out. Maybe I could lead. We are on the hunt for leaders. We are on the hunt for leaders, people who are going to join us on the front lines to attack this together. If you think that might be you, and you just want to learn about it, you're not committing to it, you're, you're saying, I'd like to learn, I'd like more information, check that blank. I'd like to learn about being a leader. As a matter of fact, immediately after this service, like 1230, give me a second to catch my breath, 1230, we're going to meet in the treehouse, which is in this building right there. Uh, double doors, glass doors, right there. We're going to meet in there, and I'm going to tell you, this is what a leader of central groups does. And you can meet me right, right there, and we'll, we'll talk about it. You're, again, you're not committing, and I'm not committing to you either. Um, you're just learning. You're, get, you're getting more information. If that's you, check that blank and let me know. The last blank on there, I'm dead serious about this. Y'all didn't believe me last time. I'm dead serious about this. The last blank on there says, I do not want to be in a group. You check that blank if you're not in a group, and at this time you don't want to be in any sort of group. I want you to check that. Not so I can judge you, not so I can call you and try to talk you out of it and guilt trip you, not for any of those reasons, but so I can know and so I can pray for you. So that that takes some courage to to be honest enough to say that, but go ahead and check that blank. When you are finished... Uh, We're going to worship. You can drop those on your way out. You can drop them in the basket. We'll collect it. If you didn't get a bulletin or whatever, um, centralrr.com slash groups. You can do the whole thing online. Okay? So that's how we're going to proceed. Here's what's going to happen in the next 10 seconds. You're going to pray, either by yourself or with your family. You're going to pray and say, God, what do you want for my family regarding this whole groups thing? What do you want? Then you're going to fill it out. Then the band is going to lead us in a song of worship. All right? Well, let's pray. Go for it.